0: Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham!, Eno to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, Reggae, and all points in between then crank the boombox, turn the lock man up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry.
1: Hey, Chris, guess what? What's that? You hear that? 80s music exposed is now seven floors up. <laughs> And in the heart of the big city. In the heart of the big city. Coming to you live from the heart of the big city. The South kitchen. End. So Ted, we are still in a kitchen. Right. We are getting we're getting swank as hell now.
2: That's right. So folks, we have moved on from the kitchen at 1415 Pecan Avenue. You have to beat that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want anybody showing up, all the groupies Uh, and the hordes of
1: fans. Knocking on the door with their 80s music exposed tattoos and T-shirts, wanting us to sign shit. Assorted swag.
2: But yeah, Uh we moved, I moved across town, I've actually moved into a 7th floor apartment uh, instead of a house with a normal kitchen and Henry. What do you think of the new digs?
1: Really like it. Like it a lot. It's uh, certainly smaller than the other place. Certainly, like, easier to clean, probably, right? Yeah, and also... But listen to the acoustics in this room. You're going to... After you get the, kit, the stuff moved in, it's going to sound different.
2: Henry, I went back and took a look at the two podcasts that we've done. Yeah. We've recorded upwards of 50 episodes of highly entertaining uh, podcast content. How we're entertaining. In my kitchen at the old place, and we're going to
1: miss it, right? Yeah, I'm going to miss it a lot, actually. Yeah. So um, Different side of town, but new
2: digs. Changes us up, probably sends us on a different
1: jag. Who knows what we're going to talk
2: about today? Well, I know what we're going to talk about today. Why is that? We're going to talk about some of the events from July 1981. Well, first, let's do a few plugs at the top. Oh, you want to do plugs at the top? I'll I'll do them quick. So at the new place, we still have to do plugs at the top? I'll be quick. Let's see how let's weird. See how, I let's do see it. how quick you can do it. If
1: you like our show, you like the records we're choosing. Please rate and review us on iTunes. If that could do it. Like the guy from like the, the, guy FedEx commercial. With the FedEx commercial. That's eighties. That's eighties. Give it you a shot. You also listen to Spotify sticker and share sticker sticker. You could also listen to Spotify and Stitcher and share it with your friends. You could chat us up on Twitter at 80smusic Exposer, 80s, Music or 80s Music at gmail.com. Chris's Twitter handle is TCI is at TCI Duke. Henry's Twitter handle is at h g. Patreon. You can find all about us at www.patreon.com slash join slash 80 Music expose. All proceeds go back into helping produce the show and tireless efforts of those behind the scenes most of the time. Producer Greg and social media Megan. How do we pick the LPs? We use the Rags method to leave it at that and check the other pods for that information. That was weird. Thank you. That was my uh, impersonation.
2: I hope that makes the cut.
1: <laughs> we'll, see was... what,
2: we'll see what producer Greg thinks about all anyway, that. Anyway,
1: goodbye to the kitchen. Onward and uh, to our new environment. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So this this episode is all about July of nineteen eighty-one, Henry. Uh, June, we spent two episodes on the month of June. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't looked. Are, are we doing two episodes? For I July think as well?
1: yes, we're part. We, we are.
2: are. Uh, July is a two-parter. I'm almost positive. Hey, listen, the summer of eighty-one was a big time for records, so we're going to cover it all. Um. So, Henry, tell us some of the events that happened just to get everybody in the mood for a little bit of July. 81. For some reason, you know, like I never know if I
1: should pick something really positive. I mean, when things are news, they're generally negative. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's a, unless it's some awesome thing like, oh, we went to, we launched a space shuttle or something.
2: Yeah, it's well, funny it's because when I, when I put stuff on there, I'm I'm more um, going for the, I think of that show like it came from the 80s. I'm looking for like pop culture, happy bullshit. Mm-hmm. And Henry always goes for like the, <laughs> yeah. the Pope was assassinated or attempted to assassinate the Pope. I did
1: it. the notes this time they probably skew a certain way, <laughs> but Reagan, here's something positive. Reagan nominated the first woman to the Supreme court. That is a positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was Sandra Day O'Connor. That is right. So uh, do you remember the Hillside Strangler? I do. Uh, Kenneth Bian- This is the weirdest thing that happened. Kenneth Bianchi, who was that guy took the witness stand in his own defense and after initially denying his involvement in the slayings of 10 young women, he unexpectedly started to, in, like, in detail, tell him how he did it. That yeah, he actually did it, it. seems like that's on the
2: stand. kind of part of the psychosis that goes with serial killers is they need the credit. I definitely remember this, Henry, the abduction of Adam Walsh. I
1: do. And, um, I mean, the whole, it, that is the event that started
2: America's Most Wanted. And cops, probably. Here's a happy one to end on. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. It depends, on, <laughs> it depends on what you think of the
1: monarchy. Well, it certainly was a, like a, a big deal at the time. The
2: wedding of Charles and Diane.
1: And anybody who the was, people's princess. Mm-hmm. Anybody who was around
2: at that time remembers uh, seeing that. I just remembered the fascination with how big it was, and as a kid, not understanding why it was so big. Remember they were selling. I don't know if you remember this. They were selling like memorabilia on TV. Like those. Do you remember those old style commercials from the eighties where they would try to sell stuff, and at the end they would have that like it would look like a computer graphic screen. Um, with the address and the, oh, the time. of the of the company, and then across the bottom there would be something scrolling like "Call now, call now, call, call now, now, call now." No CODs,
1: <laughs> no CODs. Yeah, every <laughs> like COD commercial was. ended with that. Yeah. <laughs> I know it
2: means cash on delivery, but does anybody do that? But anymore? there was one I remember distinctly around this buddy when they were yeah. selling like tray, TV trays with with uh, Charles and Diana's uh, picture on it, like so you could watch TV and I don't know, I don't like while you're eating your TV dinner, you go. ah. Oh,
1: remember that. That was a good time. That was a really good time. That was watching good that time. on TV that one time, those <laughs> and I rich didn't, people.
2: And I didn't pay any COD for this.
1: Ugh. <laughs> well, it's in, in the intervening period since we recorded last, There, a couple of big deals happened. Rico Kasich of the Cars passed away.
2: Yeah, and by, by Henry saying some big deals have happened, um, he's talking about there's been some deaths in the right. 80s music uh, community that we thought we ought to yep. at least give lip service to. Eddie Money passed away oh, uh, yeah. as well. He had esophageal cancer. Sure did. Uh, Ian Gib- Gibbons. Did you see how I went right by that? He sure did. He uh, sure did. I don't like to talk I, about I cancer. Like, I don't want to talk about cancer. <laughs> Ian Gibbons, the Kinks keyboardist uh, from seventy nine to 8, 1989, he also passed away. From bladder cancer. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Um, also, this was a big one for me. Daniel Johnston mm-hmm. uh, passed away. He was kind of a hipster uh, 90s resurgent uh, guy. That's, yes, he was. Very uh, interesting figure. Songs
1: of Pain came out in 81, the year that we're going through. I'm going to save, I'm going to probably put that on our biggest misses someplace because it was important. Right. Rokie Erickson passed oh, wait away. a second. Daniel Johnston had a heart attack.
2: Man, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you want to do this, right? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what he died of. <laughs> you like that. I don't
1: know what Rocky Erickson died of, though.
2: So. <laughs> and Scott Walker died. I know, man. Posture. That
1: hurt a lot. So it's weird. Uh, he did one album in the '80s, and it was "Climate of a Hunter." And I went and listened to it. And I had a little dialogue with you about that this, since we recorded last.
2: Well, he, I don't, I don't, I don't know if anybody's still listening after we've listed the, the obituary uh, for '80s people um, this past year. But uh, you want to blast right through this? <laughs> I have to say. Rookie Erickson is probably my favorite Well hopefully we're going to do I think we're, we're talking about at the end yeah. of the year Maybe doing an episode to tribute Episode for these folks And then I'll get to listen to some Scott Walker yeah. But yeah we, we did want to pay our respects That these folks passed away I'm going to introduce our first record Henry Because I'm very uncomfortable
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why do you get so uncomfortable? I
2: don't like death. Alright okay. so the first record is by Ricky Lee Jones The album is called Pirates And the song we're going to listen to is called We Belong Together.
1: Now, that was not Pat Benatar's We Belong Together.
2: No, that was um, Ricky Definitely not. I've had this record in my collection for a long time. It's one of those that I've always felt that I should like, and I kind of liked, but now going back and listening to it, I really liked. Yeah. Um, it also seemed to me, Henry, like, what did you think of it? It seems like it's one of those records that's for adults. Like yeah. I don't know that I would have got it in the 80s, when I was a teenager, oh, I know that I wouldn't
1: have. in fact, one of the songs on the record I can't I made notes for that, depending on which one. Um, it was pirates, like the lope mm. of the that title s- track. Mm-hmm. the lope of that song makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, I think it has something to do with it reminds me of my parents having sex or something. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That should be the slogan for the record. (laughs) I'm serious. Pirates. It reminds you of your parents having sex. I don't know why it is. Was there something about that particular sound of it that reminds me of that? Check it out now. It's Sam Goody. For me, Henry, I I think we should describe the scene where it came from because I I think I find it much more interesting and cool now. These folks at this time seemed like the counterculture L.A. art scene of 20-something, 30-somethings. That were truly a counterculture, like Tom Waits, Ricky Lee Jones, uh, Chucky e. Weiss, uh, Ivan Oles, Sal Bernardi. These are, these were all L.A. artists who mm-hmm. were too cool for punk. Like they don't even relate to that. Hmm. So it was an interesting scene that was unto itself. But what I found for me really interesting was they were kind of creating this timeless kind of stuff, especially Ricky Lee Jones and Tom Waits. But it doesn't really sound. I keep coming back to this a lot in our episodes. It doesn't really sound '80s to me. It just yeah. You get hung up on that. It doesn't really define the era to me. It sounds good. It sounds again. I think it it sounds very adult. Think about it. It kind of does because um, that song
1: "Woody and Dutch on the Slow Train," on the slow train to Peking, right? That was the sound of the McDonald's commercials that you grew up with. Right, right. They, co-
2: they basically lifted that whole thing and made commercials out of it. Right, right. You know? But, you know, that's the kind of thing I don't think I, I would pay attention to as a child. I wouldn't have made that reference.
1: I mean, I can kind of do without the song because I don't really like that bebop stuff. Very yeah. Much. Yeah, some of that is not my thing. It, it's probably, bec- it might even be because of those McDonald's and Dr. Pepper commercials because that was my first exposure to it. It's not like I went and listened to a ricky lee jones album when i was 10
2: well i know we both talked about this a little before the show and i'm gonna let you talk more about the person that she kind of reminds you of that's more modern if you Mm -hmm. if you need an entryway i want to talk about two people that i listened to this and it made me think of instantly which i didn't think of before but i think she was very much influenced by um and and had a similar career arc to joni mitchell Mm. somebody that was super respected great songwriter had her own voice mm-hmm. but was kind of outside of any of the mainstream stuff that was going on i think there's also a little bit of a, a carol king um thing going on but i would say all women uh, songwriters at that time were probably enamored Compared with carol to her. king because yeah. i mean she did so much but um yeah, I felt like there was a, a similar arc there, and then, and I know we talked about. Yeah, uh, you know when we more modern, I
1: didn't realize we went to see Cat Power, Chan Marshall play, and uh, and I realized that she
2: she is definitely influenced by uh, Ricky Lee Jones, and not just influenced, but it's interesting how they have a similar arc. Like Cat Power kind of works in her own. Mm-hmm. Didn't you feel that way at the show? She works in her own medium, like it's not really. Um, nobody else is doing anything that like that, and nobody—it's not really in any time period. I expected when I put this on that I would dislike the record,
1: and yeah. I didn't. I didn't dislike it. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, and so, there's even songs like "Skeletons," which like starts out in what could be because of the, the jazz idiom, I guess, could be considered kind of cheesy. Goes in this sort of tender interesting direction to close it out which is really int- I mean, interesting to me
2: well now I, I in my record collection I have the, this record and the, her debut record because of I bought. I think I bought the debut record because of the uh, Chucky's in Love so. I expected
1: to hear Chucky's in Love on this one but it had already happened she was already a big star by the time this came out I like this one better I think this one is worth your time um, well I mean she won a Grammy for Best New Artist in the back right? This, and, so. and and i don't know if in
2: my mind it was that good but i think it's i think it's definitely a worthwhile record it's got some elements to it Mm -hmm. that rub me the wrong way that kind of like that the the scat kind of stuff is kind of uh seems hokey to me but maybe it's it's my context Mm -hmm. i did want to mention though henry also that um it and if we get to this point which i hope we do but there was a time period in the late '80s, early '90s when folk music made this super hip comeback with uh, Suzanne Vega and Tracy mm-hmm. Chapman and, and the and that group, mm-hmm. and it was like time had finally caught up to Ricky Lee Jones. Right. She was already doing. I remember it. that record cover. There was a too. there was an album she did called uh, "Flying Cowboy," mm-hmm. and it was like now to me it sounds like a Wyndham Hill collection, one of these like light folk <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. But then to me it was like. It was like Suzanne Vega was imitating Ricky Lee Jones. And then her next record was called Pop Pop. Um, which she did like jazz standards. That's stuff. the one I remember. Right. So those records yeah. she finally like, it's like it was almost like the the world caught up to her when it was kind of too late. For just a period yeah, of yeah, just a brief yeah, like period just, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they everything synced up. But um hopefully we'll cover that record when we get there. But Henry, I am uh not going to recommend this record because of my standard i don't feel like it it's a definitive uh 80s sound that i feel like i would want people who are listening to an 80s show to go back and listen to but i do think it's a good record
1: it's good i am going to recommend it because i think it, it contains a number of sort of cultural um touchstones that were important during that period even if it didn't meet some arbitrary kind of Sound, I mean, I've grown to see through this project that there really wasn't a – there was stuff that we identify as 80s music, I guess because there was some Vanguard stuff that happened right about that time. But there were people putting out great work that weren't about that. Well, and again, I think
2: it's interesting for folks that have listened to our show uh, for a while that we both are going on different paths here. I'm trying to say I feel like if there's a definitive 80s Mm -hmm. kind of thing that you missed, I want you to pick it up. And, Henry, I think you're going more down of a, hey, there was lots of great stuff. I don't care if it's Definitive 80s. If you missed it, go back and check it out. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, um, very much so. Which yeah. is awesome. So, um, Henry, what's our next record? The next record we're going to listen to or uh, consider is uh, Pleasant Dreams by the Ramones. I had a choice of two songs here I'm going to put it in front of you. We can either play uh, The KKK Took My Baby Away or Airwaves. Which one do
2: you like? Uh, I hate both of them, but we'll go with the airwaves.
1: I knew it. I knew it. Let's play that one. I mean why does that song suck so bad i don't i mean here's did the ramones make good music i mean that's really an open question right did they make good music i don't think it's an open question i think the answer is no they made some like definitive songs of i mean blitzkrieg bop is a, is like a hit
2: right I think so and I think I think their aesthetic and I think what they represent obviously has left an indelible mark on I want to say rock and roll because I think they like the term rock and roll but Henry I think we have this we've had this debate for 25 years I think there has to be something decent about the music besides the mark you made for me to say it's worthwhile I don't hear anything that the Ramones did that makes me the
1: um, interested. My problem with it is it's hard for me to muster enthusiasm for the Ramones beyond one song or two songs. They're not an album band to me. Uh, it's almost like they, the fact that they existed was enough. I don't really have to like them.
2: Like well, I like the way music. you said that because, honestly, I, I like them more not hearing any of their music. I like the story of the Ramones. Oh, yeah. I think we've read some books like, uh, I think that one, I hate to say it wrong. Please kill me. The mm-hmm. oral history of punk. They seem very interesting in that book, but I don't want to listen. They
1: to want it. the record company, whoever signed them. I guess it was probably maybe Seymour Stein, probably Sire. That's what I remember. I don't even know if it's true. They wanted these guys to have like hits and stuff, and it I seemed think, like they kept. They remember we reviewed the one. Oh, oh, I, oh I can't for I can't forget. We that. trashed it
2: and it was the who us uh, who's the big Phil
1: Spector just you know tried to make something out of them that you, was not you good. You know,
2: I think from doing research for this uh record, it seemed to me that the Ramones always wanted hits. Yeah. Um as a band. I don't think it was just that the record company did. I think they wanted hits. I will say I think of all the great records that we've already talked about, and I think did either one of these records, if you took it in a vacuum and didn't know the Ramon story, would you would you rate either one of these records no, as anything at all? Because what
1: they did has been done better since then. But, but I think it was even done, done better before the then. Time. They sound like a so bad fifties, sixties, early sixties band. In my research for this, I knew we were gonna what we were gonna say about it together. I knew we were gonna have at least a similar outlook on the band but is there I a way though for somebody, Henry
2: to talk about it without talking about the Ramones can you talk about this what? record specifically no <laughs> That's what I like. Could I talk about any of them? I talk the Ramones. You talk about them because they were punk rock,
1: not because the records were amazing.
2: That's what I found myself thinking. Right. Like all my notes were headed towards the Ramones, not this record. I can't say anything positive about this record except it's not as bad as the one we reviewed last time. <laughs> and can we please stop reviewing Ramones' record? <laughs> That's
1: hilarious.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, we've probably lost a third of our audience here. but uh, I think they, And I, mean, I would love for people to give us feedback and say... They were know,
1: not good musicians, but I will go on record saying that you don't have to be a good musician to make good albums. But they were rock and roll. I
2: mean, Well, that, that term keeps coming up, and, and to give them their due, I think that's what their whole mission was. I'm not sure they were as smart as people give them credit for. I think they really missed rock and roll. At the time, and, and and if you see the time that they lived in, it's 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 admirable. Mm-hmm. Disco was king. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was overproduced. Everything was getting longer and longer. Um, you know, you were starting to get like. Remember that uh, disco song that was like made off of Beethoven's Fifth? <laughs> yeah, that's what was like on the radio. And these guys were like, "What happened to rock and roll?" So yeah. I, I think they would even. They would, I think they didn't even like the term rock. I think they thought Led Zeppelin and that overdone rock was bad. They wanted rock and roll, two minutes well, of back, yeah, back
1: then, in the seventies, anyway, in you know seventy six, I guess when they probably started. Word punk was not a positive like it is to, you know today, or just a label. It meant like loser.
2: Well, you had mentioned this to me um, uh, last week that there mm-hmm. was a, a person that you read an article. About by doing your research that mm-hmm. had made a defense of the Ramones. He Can did, and I could, sum re- that up? I could
1: read it. I'm going to try to... Um, basically... Don't he, read it. I, I guess, can't read it, but basically what he says, he's cl- he's clearly a fan, but even 50% of the songs, even on uh, their best albums, he'll just skip over. And this guy's a real fan. He is, but he said that I want to be sedated is a legitimate masterpiece. Blitzkrieg, Bop, Sheena is, the punk, is a punk rocker are all like well-known
2: anthems of the genre. I mean, you've heard the song, even though you don't like the Ramones. But you know? he, but he did what we are kind of doing too. He made an ardent defense of the Ramones as an idea. As he says, what he's part of why he thinks that they suck.
1: Maybe just our personal preference. Like another part, maybe just the uh, is a fundamental fact about punk rock that uh, it's not virtuoso musicianship and. In this day and age, everything they've done is not shockingly
2: refreshing like it was to the people in 76. That's the, That was the interesting point you made to me. Yeah. was, And I think he said, you told me that he said mm-hmm. um, to see them live was a different experience. Completely. Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. The last bit he says, it's a Reddit post. Anybody can search this up. It was really good. But he said that their, their records sound very different from their live shows. They really did try hard to make it but never did. Their live shows have... a like a lot of raw energy and it's a cliche to even write or talk about it, but it was a blitz of like two minute songs. They know with no stopping anybody who went to see him was blown away. And that's
2: what Are was, there other bands like that. Well, that remember? was what was interesting about when we started the show talking yeah. about how we didn't want to use pitchfork reviews yeah, because how does a 25 year old who's heard 10 iterations of some band that we loved mm-hmm. already perfected? How do they look through the, through that lens, yep. at the original and, not, mm-hmm. and go. Eh, yeah, I've heard better than that. You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and you can't really fault them because you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So some things can
1: only really be appreciated by by thinking about what was going on in that time,
2: and that's where I'd like to end with the Ramones, thinking maybe they were better than yeah. than I remember. That's so a, that's I a I really good
1: away. that's a really good place to end it, probably right there.
2: The next record we want to talk about is by a band called Sparks. I love this record title, "Womp That Sucker." is the name of the record. And this is Tips for Teens.
0: I've got a snapshot of your Aunt Maureen. She's 90 and you're a teen. I'm trying to cheer you but Don't be so mean. Don't be so mean. For teens, when I can be sick and say you're too sick to go to work, soon you will lose all your sits. Tight sweaters no longer fit. Jet setters will make their pitch. I told you so, I told you so. Tips for teens, tips for teens, the kind you don't see in magazines. Tips for teens. Tips for teens. Don't eat that ice cream, is it vanilla? Give it to me. Don't eat that pastry,
2: what's in the middle? Give it to me. Wow, and this record has really shocked me. I have to say, so as a kid, I. Confused Sparks with this other band called Yellow. Do you remember Yellow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, from Ferris Bueller, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was Sparks. So um, oh, did you? <laughs> I never really knew what was going on with I, Sparks. So. I thought that Sparks was like some
1: underground, like, I knew they were a duo. And I thought they were just like some underground cool like maybe they were French
2: you know <laughs> God, I thought they were French I did it's that one guy's mustache
1: and, it's so, and I thought there was in, and that that maybe they put out a cool
2: twelve inch or something, you know
1: <laughs> like something like that, and I said, oh, that must be the most esoteric shit in the world.
2: and when they showed up on the list, I was like,, Whoa. I was the same way. I was really? almost like, I don't want to listen to this because this is some weird yeah kind of like. I thought it was yellow still. I was like, this is going to be like the precursor album to, <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: What I didn't
2: know. Do you want to say it? No, go it. ahead. This is their 10th fucking <laughs> album. Okay, so that was the interesting <laughs> part for me. So when I'm starting to circle back, I'm know i I'm looking. Okay, first of all, folks, this may be me. my favorite album cover of any record we've covered so far. If you haven't seen it, look up on the internet. Womp that sucker? You want to describe it? Yeah, it's really cool because I personally think not only is it what I think what good art is, it, is, it's not only is it funny, but it also tells a story just by looking at it without you having to think anything. The perspective on it is so cool because you're really tight up close on one of the brothers laying right in the foreground like he's been knocked out in the ring in boxing gloves and his face is on the canvas. And the other brother is standing way back in the back uh, holding his boxing glove up and Obviously, the name of the record is Womp That Sucker. But it's a great it's a great photo. I can't do it justice by describing it. Go take a look at it. But, Henry, I went, so I saw that. I went looking back through their records because I was like, 10th record? Jesus. Oh. And then I see another iconic record cover that I've known my whole life, which was the Kimono. Oh, I should, oh I God. Down. Um, I didn't write it down, did you? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Kimono, man. My House. Kimono, My House. Thank you. Is that it? So okay. I've known about Kimono, My House, since I was a kid because... My brother was this huge glam guy, uh-huh. and Kimono My House is like this glam touchstone from the early 70s. Mm-hmm. My brain didn't think that, that Sparks could have been around since the early 70s. I didn't know Kimono My House You thought was they were Spark. an
1: electronic band like I did. I did.
2: I thought they were a mid-80s electronic I think they band. were
1: getting named. I, th- I believe what happened was they were getting name-dropped dro- by hipsters when we were coming through and and like learning music and we paid attention to them and so we thought Sparks was that, right somehow
2: like Eno name dropped Kimono House like people yeah like, like that yeah like that so uh, so other other than that though Henry I start coming through their collection apparently they worked with Giorgio Moroder yeah,
1: yeah they did but and that doesn't that,
2: help the case. But they went, they so were, were like, thinking they were electronic, man. I know, but <laughs> like, what I'm saying is, I mean, apparently they helped start hurt. glam. Yeah. Then all of a sudden they're in the thick of disco, like the fucking thick of it, mm-hmm. working with the the godfather of disco. And then boom, you get to womp that sucker and they put out a fucking Queen record that's as good as Queen. So that's the first that's thing where where came I got to finally. My first, uh,
1: I, the, when I put it on, and I was like, "Well, these cats are Queen.
2: What the hell?" So the the Queen record that we reviewed uh, from last year wasn't the game, was it? Yes, the game. Okay. This record to me sounds like what the game wanted to sound like. <laughs> really, because it sounds to me like the garage rock synth eighties uh, version of Queen. If you if they weren't great players. Like, there's not a super great guitar player. Uh-huh. There's not a super. The, the guy's obviously not Freddie Mercury. But you know what? God damn it. They make up for it and just, like, I don't know. The songs are funny, too. Like, the mm. lyrics are hilarious. So, like, oddball, weird fucking dudes. Yeah, the first half. Really good. It gets a
1: little silly, just a little. Maybe a little patchy on the back end. That's all.
2: It also gets silly in that but way that is, where you don't realize it's silly until you're buy it, and then you're it's like, It's my oh,
1: only huh. real critique of that album. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's my only critique, and it's completely uneducated. <laughs> but it intrigues the shit out of me. Because the ba- mostly, I think it's because of the the mystery that they had later, you know? Like, look at... Did you catch the record covers? Like, they're really, like... They look like... Um, Oleg, uh olin mills or Sears photography pictures yes Yes. and i'm like that's kind of punk rock or something i don't know you know what i mean i don't i don't know how to explain it
2: they're kind of like they were seemed on the
1: arty side which is like my total jam to
2: me they were the ween of the 80s hey yeah i did want to mention too a couple things that i found kind of neat um they they hired a backing band for this album because they wanted to rock, mm-hmm. and the backing band is called Bates Motel. I would love to find a Bates Motel record just to see what that was what was going on with those dudes. So the um, band
1: was already called Bates Motel. Already called Bates Motel. They, so they, he
2: hired
1: they hired them to be their backing band. And they Bates used Motel them. had already made a record called. Bates.
2: I don't I don't know if they've already made oh. a record, but there was a band called Bates Motel. They hired, they ended up using them on this and the next four records. So they liked Bates Motel. Um, I also wanted to mention that, oh, the record before this, the last Giorgio Moroto record, which is, uh-huh. this. if you want to hear a weird juxtaposition between two records, check the one out before this and this one. It's like they are full on a disco duo. <laughs> it's like, it's just totally different. But, but that album was super influential to like, I found all these bands like Pet Shop Boys, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode saying that's their favorite record, and then you've got Eno and Bowie saying "Kimono My House" is their favorite record, and then you listen to this one and it's like, oh, this is what Queen should have. These guys might have been the best fucking band ever, <laughs> and 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 it just never got, just flew under the radar the whole so, time. Yeah, just like that sucks. I know it's very weird. Um, one thing that I
1: read, I don't know if you got into this, but. In 80, 81 was Wampette Sucker. 82 they did another record called Angst in My Pants. <laughs> ween. I guess they really were a Ween. <laughs> anyway, apparently they ran into Queen. And um, Brian May did an interview. And he said that the two guys from Sparks came to his house. And they had a hit with um, There's a song called This Town Ain't Big Enough. And they said to him, look, your band are okay, but you're obviously not going to have any more hits. Whereas we are going to conquer the world.
2: <laughs> Would you like to join us?
1: And he turned them down.
2: I just love that because, you know, they were probably dead serious too. Yeah. They weren't making any He said, jokes. I love
1: you guys, but no, I don't think so. I don't think
2: so. <laughs> by, he said, by then, Queen are going somewhere. I mean, they were Queen. <laughs>
1: Crazy. But you yeah. know, yeah. I
2: think the Sparks boys were right. God damn it. This is the best Queen record I've ever heard. I want well, that sucker. Uh
1: yeah, so uh, big ups for me on this one. Go listen to this record.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna recommend this one as well. Um, Henry, what's our next record? Moving right along. Oh, this one you've spent a lot of time working God on boy, this one. I hate this now. <laughs> I hate it. We're
1: gonna listen. <laughs> <laughs> July of '81 was the year that Def Leppard's High and Dry came out. Yes, and so uh, and and of course we're gonna play part of bringing on the heartache. Woohoo! I played that song, but it's probably my favorite one on the album. I have a serious problem liking because I like Def Leppard, but now because I've listened because you made me listen to this critically, like with a critical cap on, I find myself not liking the later Def Leppard because I liked this record the most. High and dry, yeah, 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 for sure. I went back. I when you're a kid in eighty whatever eighty. 384, probably. Pyromania. You you
2: get pyromania like straight up. And for people that that don't remember or Mm -hmm. younger fans, pyromania was like Mm thriller. All of a sudden, we were just saturated Mm -hmm. with pyromania. It was
1: the sugar shot to the arm. Mm -hmm. It was arena rock. It was... And it was everywhere. Everywhere. Right. Followed up by the big follow-up, Hysteria, which is famously sold like... Nine million copies. Everybody had it. Right. You know, it was heard that the reason that um, Mutt Lang said, Could I do for a band what somebody's done for Michael Jackson? Hi, Andrea. It's like, it's a hard rock record. Without it, and it, it had a lot more screaming than singing, <laughs> would you say? I would. It was I, edgy. It was like a, a okay. Edgy I, I love how you
2: said that, because here's here was here is how I'm going to classify that. No one... We don't like to even give them the credence of thinking of them in those terms, but this High and Dry, which is my favorite Def Leppard record as well, is their, before they sold out, hip... See, can yeah, you use those sold. work? This is their edgy, uh, before they got... Like I can't before, even, they got rid of I their can't old even guitar talk player because Def Leppard was never cool. But this was their cool record. Damn it, Pyromania is a fucking record. It's just but, but I've but I have a whole but
1: I have a whole reason. basically, they sold out hard, like real hard.
2: Yes, like major. But there's never been a time in my life where I've been like, let's analyze Def Leppard, and then I go back and listen to High and Dry, which as a kid. So I have to preface this by saying. I was an MTV junkie, and mm-hmm. my first exposure to Def Leppard was not Pyromania. They had one video that played on MTV all the time, which was Bringing on the Hardy mm-hmm. and that was my first exposure. So I was I was hooked then. Going back now, I did not realize that the ACDC Jones that these guys oh have, yeah yeah they're doing it now. Good. You do so you've got you got like seven. We just listened to Back in Black, of course. Right, I mean, so you've got you know about seven songs on this record that are doing a really good version of acdc then mm. you've got these i guess two maybe three ballads uh, uh, and one of them is bringing on the heart mm-hmm. which to me are unbelievably better than the other songs like they're not i almost i went and checked henry to see who wrote them because i was like maybe somebody wrote did these Lang ones. Write them? he did not he didn't they wrote these these songs uh, are it, here's that. what here's what i here's what i have to respect about definitely i can't wait to send this they wore their influences on their sleeve on the rock songs. You hear ACDC, you hear Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and they're unapologetic about it. It's just like, here, we, we love ACDC, fuck you. Scream. But then right. <laughs> there's these ballads where you're like, holy shit. these Run guys till you drop, man. These guys know how to fucking write a song that sounds like themselves. They don't need this bullshit. And then I'm sitting here going, they synthesized all these other bands, they're writing their own good stuff, and then I'm going all the heavy metal records that we've covered to this point, this might be the best fucking one. Yes. The only other one that I think was comes unassuming. close is British Steel. The reason it's good is because it was unassuming yet. Right, right. right. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to say this too. I heard elements of the replacements in there. The guitar is kind of like Indian scratch. It's not that the mm-hmm. refined right. metal sound yet. These guys have got the elements of all this hadn't different got a stuff. Hold of them no, yet. no, band
1: ruined them. Yet. I mean, he he produced this album, but he hadn't done the treatment, you know. And and I've read a lot since then about that. And you know, it was he he did the uh, the Mutt Lang choir, you know, which is you know layered vocals, and that's the real thing that I loved about the band, the sound of it. And I always drew this weird connection between this choir sound of. Joe Elliott and all his guys together singing the vocal together and like Liz Frazier's layers upon layers upon layers.
2: But but, but you were telling me so, earlier too after because you've spent some time looking into this. That I was my,
1: obsessed with it because it was a big part of my childhood. Like I started that's that's like uh, the record that woke me that got my attention. Like it's the one that I wanted to listen to.
2: But it's interesting because now, and I think we've talked about this your whole life. You you are very much into. Uh, do-it-yourself, uh-huh. even if it's bad, yep. found sound, yeah. shitty stuff. And your first thing, the first thing that turned your head, I'm not even sure now that it was Def Leppard. It was a Mutt Lang production. Yeah. I'm they not even made... sure they were even on the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Here's the thing. So I started looking into one drum. I mean, this is heresy, right, what I'm about to say. Um, one-armed drummer, right? Um, and w- If we stick this out through 83, well, we're going to look at pyromania again. Right. Well, Of well, course, I, we have to. It, it, you have to. But, hmm. um, you know, he uh, the, the band was famous for him uh, losing his arm and then carrying on. Well, he played real drums on high and dry. Right. Real drum He sure did. Two-armed drumming. Ouch. Pyromania was still two-armed drumming, but... I like how you define but, but real drumming as two arms. That's not what I mean. <laughs> well, I'm getting that. You'll understand what I mean when I get. Pyromania was he was still drumming with both arms, but if you listen to it broken down, they 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 put him onto that Fairlight sequencer, and so it wasn't real drums. He was so on the beat. If you pull the the waveform, you can see he's like dead on every single time. And they did the same thing
2: with Hysteria. So it's like... And what you're saying in Landon's <laughs> term is the producer built the record yeah. in the same way that maybe Giorgio Moroder built this. And that's track. why
1: you like High and Dry and So Do I, because it sounds like a real band. It sounds like a rock and roll record. In is Pyromania was this distilled sugar shot of a band. I mean, could you say it's the Archies? I mean,
2: it, it, I don't know. I, and it's weird because I don't even think of Pyromania
1: as a metal record. Photograph is a is a well written song.
2: Sure, but is it a? But, it, I don't even think of them as a rock hard rock band at that
1: point. It's like they crossed. O- they were more glam,
2: or than I don't even metal. know what they crossed over into. It's like a Mutt Lane creation, which is interesting. It's like, I, they
1: were a cartoon comic book kind of. Thing, and I can't right?
2: wait to get there because I I want to go through that album mm-hmm. again. But um, I do want to say one thing that I misspoke. I I, I don't want to discredit uh, Back in Black. That was a. A better record but <laughs> yeah. i don't think well, of back in black i don't think of acdc as metal i always think of acdc as like rock just hard rock yeah but this record high and dry even though i'm not going to recommend it is probably better by leaps and bounds than the ozzy Osbourne record that we covered yep. in my opinion and probably way better than any of the iron maiden records that uh, we either covered or considered because I feel like there's elements. There's enough elements here of all the different genres to make it to me feel like um, legit. Like these guys were were legit. I they sure basically did. introduced. I mean,
1: is it their fault we had hair metal? I mean, I mean they were
2: part of it. They were definitely part of it. were, were they the first? No, I wouldn't say they were was. The there first. a hair metal band before Def Leppard? That's interesting. I, would, I mean, I, I would. Remember. I always thought that hair metal kind of came from New York Dolls um uh, like the dressing and drag they, they and would pro-
1: def leppard would profess that they.
2: You know, one of the th- but you know joe joe elliott i i was i had to mention this about 10 years ago when the term started coming up indie uh-huh. rock as opposed to college rock or alternative uh-huh. rock i read in an interview and in, in spin magazine and he's like yeah indie rock we invented that we were indie rock before everybody was in it and i was like maybe what?" was I, mean, I know, but I love this guy. Ruffola, like, is Bludgeon Ruffola that Andy? Because he probably took credit for hair metal too. <laughs> He's like, so we I invented. Had, I had involved.
1: a copy of High and Dry. I don't know. If, I don't know if you made me a copy of this when we were kids, but it was a shitty cassette version of it. I didn't. The album cover is badass, right? It's the only one they've done that's ever any good. All the ones after that look like it's Photoshop. Somebody did on Photoshop on a computer or something. Yeah, they just remind or me of those mirrors
2: you used to win at the although, carnival.
1: Although you got to look at paramanian like a blown up building. Mm,
2: that resonates different in the year. I just hated all that, that, that font they had for mm. the Hysteria and Pyramanian. If you like. Your
1: Def Leppard, more British and edgy and metal. <laughs> I would know, say, even,
2: of, I would say, even more Australians. Yeah.
1: <laughs> instead of like pop star poster boys, then you should listen to High and Dry. So I'm going to recommend it only because they're a big deal to me
2: and. I'm going to recommend it if you like Def Leppard and as a Def Leppard record, but as a general public person, it it was close, but no cigar. Just go listen to Back I said no on anything. I don't think you have Okay, I don't think so. All right, we're going to go to our last record. This is, um, the band is called The Go-Go's. This is their debut record called Beauty and the Beat, and we're going to play the song Automatic.
0: It now still a man-
1: selected automatic i don't it's the i think it's one i'm I'm glad you you did you had the obvious like hits on this album right which i wanted to stay away from on this one yeah automatic is like a really well done song there's a lot of them on this record Uh and i and i
2: feel like sometimes having um, iconic hits on your debut kind of hurt you in a way because i don't think people give this album credit at all. And I think a lot of people, and maybe this is the girl thing, Henry, which we could talk about, mm-hmm. I don't think people ever gave them credit for being able to do an, a full album. Like, I don't think anybody was ever like, oh, yeah, they did a couple hits, that was cute.
1: Oh, yeah, because 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 the album was such a big
2: hit. Yeah, but I don't ever hear anybody talk about this album as an album, and I was really pleasantly surprised going back. that it had, yeah. yeah, and I will even go so far as to say, the Go-Go's, to me, are... Right in that wheelhouse of what I always talk about. This is the iconic early 80s sound. It mixes pop, it mixes punk. And look, I know you probably want to bring this up too, but Belinda Carlisle had true punk mm-hmm. uh, credentials. Yeah, she... she was almost a member of the Germs. Mm-hmm. Um, if she had not gotten mono that week, she would have been one of the Germs. Her name, they already had a name for her. She was going to be Dottie Danger so she was right there in that scene Mm -hmm. but this record i think they are really good songwriters i i still have trouble henry with this whole fascination with i don't understand why it's such a thing that it's all women like you know like oh they're women they're all girls oh it's like like a novelty act yeah like oh look it's all girls because it was rare do they really play their instruments do they write their own song who dresses them? It seems like a weird, tired thing to even mention now, doesn't it? I know, but there's that, that I think yeah. that thing was like, oh, I know why you remember the Go-Go's because they were that all-girl band. But there were several
1: of those back then. Well, I, The Bangles.
2: I, I wanted right? to make this comparison too, which goes uh-huh. right against, um, I thought of this, listening to this record, you may not get this at all, but I just watched the Joan Jett documentary that's on, I think, Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, and I realized the Runaways were the Rolling Stones of the early 80s girl groups. And the Go-Go's were the Beatles. So they were the bad girls. They Runaways were the bad <laughs> and girls. And the Go-Go's were the good were girls. That were the real deal. Although they I the read they, the Go-Go's. Like... And the Go-Go's, but, but so did the Beatles, though. The Beatles <laughs> weren't really. <they> were, <laughs> but the Go-Go's made the records that were, like, classic. Yeah. Like, no one remembers Runaway's records. They just remember... They were the bad girls, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, yeah, that, that kind of came up to my mind. But I do want to, I'm glad you played that song because yeah. there's a lot of good stuff on this record that's not just uh, the hit.
1: That was my favorite of all the non-singles right. that were on there. Right, I think, And I thought it was adventurous. So the rec- to me, my best description is that it sounds classic without sounding like a throwback.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, so um, how do you accomplish that? <laughs> How do you you know what I mean? That's why again the, the, I think they're given short shift because of being women. I think if this had been a band with a girl singer and mm-hmm. three men, if this had been the pretenders, I think this record would be iconic. I think I think it would be like we wouldn't even have to talk well, about it.
1: Well, this record sold two million copies and went double platinum.
2: But you don't hear a lot of people talk about the record. Uh-uh. You hear people talk about the right, songs. Right, the
1: songs. Mm-hmm. Um if 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 you get a chance, go to um, YouTube. There is a demo version of "We Got the Beat" Sometime, on it that came out on Stiff. Records. I can I,
2: I wish I had the internet. I can't wait to see that. I have the
1: link on our in our notes, but we can't pull it up. It just we're, sometimes we're scares me on internet.
2: how our but, brains work because this is the only review I have in my notes that I have a YouTube clip. Yeah. So, so there was. I. I have a different one, but uh, oh, mine yeah. is so they did. Uh, we got the beat on Solid Gold which was a show where you lip, openly lip-synced your song. It's kind of like Top of the Pops in England, mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't remember. The weirdest thing about this clip, if you go back and watch, is in the middle of the song, Andy Gibb and the other host, I can't remember her name, uh, of the show, just pop up right in front of them uh, and introduce the show while they keep dancing to the band playing behind them. And then they go back right in time for Jane Whelan's little...
1: Sh- my
2: that part, which I can't do... Um, which is so odd that it's my favorite Go-Go's performance, and they're not even playing live, but it's very weird. and it's very, It is weird. And it's so 80s, because if you don't remember Solid Gold, that was the epitome of weird 80s pop television. you got to show that to me when we get uh, into you know, that. Because it's
1: no secret that that I had a serious, or still do, have a serious crush on Jane Whelan.
2: Yeah, she was every she pix, was pixie a, girl fantasy. Oh, she, of, and, and the guitar and all that. Mm. When you think, I personally think, when you think about high school, teenage, 80s, the Go-Go's are that soundtrack, at least for Hollywood. That's like what Hollywood uh, thought that we sounded like at that age group or that time period. Um, I actually, when I look back, I was like, I bet their songs were in every John Hughes film. Let me look it up. They weren't in any of them, but they were at the beginning of fast times. But they just sound like they should have been. In well, John I mean, Hussle.
1: it's it's considered a classic of the time. I mean, I, I mean, mean, even Valley wanted,
2: to me was a kind of a rip on the Go Go.
1: Yeah, I mean, this I can already tell you, you're going to recommend this one as a as the the album that had that scent has the '80s sound to it. I guess
2: I'm going to recommend this record, and I'm also going to I'm going to use the word canon. I think this. Record. this is canonical <laughs> this is 80s music canon right here this record and this is the first one maybe i've used that word but this record is canon for me so i do recommend it but henry we ought to also check in with megan and see what she thinks about uh these records or maybe she's got something else she sometimes pops up with some um left field record that we haven't heard yet so go megan what do you got? <laughs>
0: Hi everyone, it's Megan here with my take on our July 1981 part one episode. My pick for the month has to be Sparks, Womp That Sucker. Um, I didn't, you know, mind the more rock direction of this album, but I I think I prefer their more electronic and like disco type stuff. Um, Sparks are weird and I feel like not a lot of people know them. Uh, They're great though, especially if you love like new wave and just kind of odd stuff. So check them out if you're feeling a little experimental and you've never heard of them before. Um, I'm still buzzing from Thursday night on Halloween. I got to go see Peter Hook and the Light at St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit, and it was just such a fantastic show. Um, I'm a huge New Order and Joy Division fan, um, and I I particularly like Hookie. I think he's a really great bass player. Um, I've read All of his books um, about like Joy Division, New Order, and the club that they helped run or owned called the Hacienda. Definitely recommend reading those books if you're a fan. Um, I I still like New Order, Bernard Sumner, and the rest of the gang. Um, I don't think that they all get along though, and that's why Peter Hook is doing the separate offshoot and they're still doing the New Order thing, but they really seem to only play the large like festival circuit and I live in Michigan so there's not really a lot of opportunities to go see them and I'm sure the tickets are pretty expensive but when I saw that Peter Hook was coming to Detroit I had to get a ticket because I was just so excited to see him and there was no opening act for the show which I actually thought was really cool um not that you know opening acts are bad but I was just excited for the show to start and They had such great energy. You could tell they were excited to be up there playing these songs. And the crowd was fantastic. Um, Everybody that was there, you could tell that they were a fan of either New Order and or Joy Division. So they were just excited to be there. People were like singing along. And it was just really cool. Um, They played three sets with about a five to ten minute break in between each one. And some of the songs that they played that really stood out to me as some of my favorites were All the Way, Loveless, Run, Ceremony, an extended version of Ceremony, which was so cool, Um, Temptation, and then some of the Joy Division stuff was like Transmission, She's Lost Control, Digital. It was great. If you get a chance to go see him on this tour or in the future, definitely check him out. Um, He was surprisingly hot, too. Like, it kind of, like, I was a little taken aback by it because, you know, he's, like, in his early 60s, so I was expecting kind of, like, a pale, doughy, older Englishman, but he was ripped. Like, he took his shirt off at the end of the show and, like, threw it out into the crowd, and he looked great. So, Hooky, keep up the fantastic work. I definitely am going to go see him again when he comes around. Um, I'm seeing Bob Dylan this Tuesday in East Lansing too, which I've mentioned before, but I'm excited for that because that's definitely a bucket list concert for me. Um, I kind of have low expectations just because he is a little older. So I'm, I'm hoping he's in a good mood and it's a good show. I'll definitely be sure to tell you all about it the next time I record a segment for the podcast and if you're into the rock and roll hall of fame you might already know this but um they have their lists for the 2020 nominees that you can go and vote for um i definitely I noticed that like depeche mode is on there craftwork motorhead a lot of great bands randomly dave matthews band which nothing against them but i'm i'm hoping that maybe they have to wait a little bit longer because i feel like you know depeche mode and like Thin Lizzy and T Rex. I would rather see a bands of that caliber and, you know, that length of time in the music industry get in. Not that it really matters, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is kind of cool. So if you care, go on their website and I'll submit your votes for who you want to see get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020. Well, and this concludes my segment for our July 1981 part one episode. So this is the fun part where I rattle off all the social media stuff because we really want you guys to follow us. Uh, we appreciate you listening. So please connect with us. Uh, we're on Facebook at 80s Music Exposed, Instagram at 80s374, and 80s Exposed on Twitter feel free to follow me too. Um, I'm on Facebook at Megan Maddox and then on Instagram at Bastards of Young 92. Um, We'd love to hear from you. And if you would like to donate to the show monetarily, we would appreciate that so much. Um, We have a Patreon. You can find us at 80s Music Exposed. Um, We have two separate tiers, so feel free to check it out. And if you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out and if you don't want to donate monetarily that's totally fine um feel free to just rate and review us on itunes or spotify wherever you listen to your podcasts we want to hear from you and um we're just so happy to have you listening so definitely um stay rad out there everybody bye
2: All right, so Henry, right. we're to record of the month. I mean, what do you? The record of the month. Yeah. What was your pick for the record of the month? It's going to
1: be "Womp That Sucker" by Sparks. Man, that's a good record. That is was the big surprise. Every every time with, I I pick the big surprise. Right. And I was like, you want you want to be if if uh, you want to be surprised, listen to that. So
2: I although I called the Go Go's album Canon, and it is. It's not going to be my record of the month. And I'll tell you why. Why? You, because if you're a fan of the 80s and you're listening to this show, hopefully you own a copy of uh, Beauty and the Beat. But Womp That Sucker is going to be my album of the month because <laughs> it fits my criteria perfectly. This is one that you probably missed that is 80s. This right. is what the fucking 80s sounds like, and this is what our show is all about pick up womp that sucker we just and we just, give it a goddamn listen that's right
1: <laughs> and report back and tweet mm-hmm. us about it yes for god's sake is Will this you? the
2: first time we both picked the same record I yeah it's the
1: first time that i know of that we both picked the same record um as our pick of the month on a, or on on this our, particular half of the month we got a whole we got, a whole, we got a whole
2: other half to um to consider so uh and by the way, Henry, that second half of the month mm-hmm. that's coming up—I mm-hmm. mean, you think we covered July? Shit, what we got we got Stevie Nicks, we got some Journey, we got some Foreigner, we got some Pat Benatar, Stevie Nicks, and some Oingo Fucking Boingo. <laughs> Oingo oh, <yo>, Fucking. <laughs> this next episode Damn. may be the most '80s episode we've ever had without me listening to these that's records. Am I going to so. like
1: an Oingo <laughs> Boingo album? <laughs> Stay tuned. (laughs) Many thanks to our show producer, Greg Levin. And if you like the way that we sound, you can talk to him at Urban Dweller on Instagram. That's U-R-B-N-D-W-E-L-L-R or at NBCGreg on Twitter. We're
2: thankful to have him on our team. And many thanks to Megan Maddox again. Thank you for her letting in her two cents worth and keeping us straight. She's also our social media maven. So if you want to start a social media argument with us, you'll probably be arguing with her. She loves it, so go ahead and um, give her your your best shot. And, Henry. Chris, guess what? You're just not going to catch that train, are you?
1: There it is. Yes. Guess what, Chris? What? I made you a (laughs) mixtape.